Good evening, world, and welcome to Haunting Season. Today, we're doing an archive episode, and it's a little bit special because we've got some special guests. But first, we're going to start out saying, what's up, Cody? Hello. I'm so glad uh, there's other people here to join. You know, I was getting a little scared. I was starting to have night terrors watching these things. Is that because you're in the woods? Where are you? Oh, my gosh. Yes, I'm in the woods. This is this is a haunted background I'm in now. I've moved locations. You know, the oh weather has gotten cooler. I've just set up shop outside, just uh, nearby this, like, creepy kind of area oh so you're on the good side of town i'm on the good side yeah <laughs> and also with us today are our two friends from the strange beliefs podcast emma and arthur hello What's up, guys hi <laughs> <laughs> do i have to do a fantastic hello yes yes of course well, you you have with now. that accent you have to come out with a hello <laughs> Hello, welcome to the podcast. <laughs> so the Strange Beliefs podcast is something I stumbled across while uh, trying to promote Haunting Season and find other podcasts that are doing cool, spooky things. Um, and the way it's set up is Arthur was born a witch and Emma was absolutely not. And uh, that's what they talk about. Usually the best way that I like to say is uh, see what happens when a witch and a skeptic are sharing a podcast. Arthur has had so many incredible supernatural experiences, whereas I have had absolutely zero. That sounds familiar. <laughs> I grew uh, up with a mother who practices witchcraft. Uh, I didn't get into it until I was about 19. And what, what made you get into it? Honestly, I was in New Orleans, so it was a little bit more prevalent of a, of a craft there. As was voodoo, but I didn't want to get into voodoo. I was looking over things, and my mother was a witch, and she was talking to me about it, and I was like, I'll give that a shot. And it's been a good experience. It's been a very good experience. Even on top of practicing witchcraft, uh, Arthur claims to have not only had all these like incredible encounters you know, with supernatural beings, including ghosts, shadow people, and also claims to have powers, which is another episode I cannot wait to get into. We're actually doing a timeline series as part of our uh, monthly episode lineup, where the first week of every month, we kind of do like the next installment of Arthur's uh, supernatural timeline from childhood to now of everything that he's experienced. I listen to it while I'm cooking, and it's very, it's very snackable. You guys uh, have just such great chemistry together. I really enjoy listening Thank to you. it. The last one I listened to was about the fairies. And yeah. um, I just, it, it brought back so many like good memories. I mentioned on your guys' show that I grew up going to New Hampshire and every summer my grandmother would have us build fairy houses out of uh, birch tree bark and make little furniture and everything for them. And then they would leave us money. So that was just a great episode to listen to. So we're doing a collaboration with these guys, and um, on their side of the podcast, we heard this creepy story about a Wendigo, and it reminded me of a story from 2013, I think, seven years ago. So I've sent you guys a link to in the chat here to the episode, and we're going to play it on the screen here, and then we'll come back and talk about part one. There's two parts to this one. My husband's a doctor. That's where this conversation is going. It's where it always goes. She's only published four books. How can she afford to just be a writer? Her husband must be rich. I wonder what he does. Well, he's a doctor. And yes, he supports me. Writing doesn't bring in a ton of cash, but I contribute too, and we're very happy. We're far from rich, but we're very 
comfortable enough so that Rick bought me a cabin up in New Hampshire, bought us a cabin. I go up there to write my books. He'll visit on the weekends, but for weeks at a time, I'll be up north on the lake in peace and quiet, alone, swimming, kayaking. There's something about the solitude that breeds creativity. The lot was purchased by a couple in the 60s, and over the years they built a tiny cabin and eventually a barn. The cabin is not in great condition, but there's a lot of character to it. It has a bedroom, a kitchen, a living room, and a bathroom. In the back, there is a porch that is practically falling into the water. It creaks and almost leans when you walk around. Then there's the barn, which has a two-car garage for the foundation, which is a workshop. And the upstairs is a big open space with bunk beds and a tiny little double bed and a few dressings here and there. No air conditioning, no central heating, no insulation, just space heaters. So it gets pretty dang cold in the winter. The woman sold us the lot after her husband died. Rick knew him as one of his longtime patients. His name was Abe. Abe Wallace. Sweet man. Loved to help people. I'd say he was about 85 and pretty overweight. He walked with a cane that he carved. He was a master carpenter whose true passion was carving. He would come up to the cabin for whole summers at a time and just sit and create. So in all the little nooks and crannies of the cabin and the barn, you find like little wooden ducks and frogs and skeletons. This was his creative space until the day that he died. He passed away in the upper level of the barn towards the end of the summer, about five years ago. I think the barn is haunted. Sometimes when I'm there, I swear the floors creak like he's walking around. And late at night, I'll even hear his cane tapping on the floor. Like a wooden clock that's lost its rhythm. Rick doesn't believe any of this, mostly because I write supernatural fiction. In fact, that's the whole point of this. Well, I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, so, it was early September. Up here, the leaves start to change pretty early. It's my favorite time to come up. Warm days and cool nights. I just love the idea of wearing shorts and sweatshirt together. It's the ideal outfit, but you rarely get to wear it. So this one morning, I was up pretty early. I had just finished my sunrise swim in the lake. I'd say it was about 7.30. And I was eating my breakfast on the back porch, looking across the cove. I had a pretty solid wall of writer's block a few days before, and I was using it as time to relax, but any more than three days of relaxing, and I know it'll stick for a week. So I needed to do something to get my mind back in the creative space. I remembered the old woman who sold us this place talking about uh, some rocks, some something rocks, I couldn't remember. They were supposed to be this, this, this uh, massive collection of rocks on the top of this mountain. 
moved there by the glaciers way before our time. She and her husband used to hike up there every summer when they were younger and I had been fascinated by the idea of doing it myself, but I just never took the time to look. Well, now the idea was stuck in my mind. I had to go. Even if it meant staying the night in the woods, I would find them. And the journey and the change of pace would release my creative block. It was perfect. But how to find them. I went inside to boil some water. The water here comes from a well and the pipes are old, so you have to boil away the bacteria before you drink it. And as I'm filling a pot with water, daydreaming a little about what these rocks might look like. Ah! Ugh, a big spider drops down inches from my nose on this long tendril of silky web. He's ugh, about the size of my pinky toe. Ugh. I'm not particularly fond of spiders, especially adventurous ones that pop up so unexpectedly from above. Above. I look up and find myself looking at a, a, a small triangular crawl space near the center of the ceiling. Just big enough for two people lying down. Has that always been there? Have I missed that before? Shit! The pot starts to overflow. I reach quickly to turn off the faucet. The spider clings onto my hand. I freak out! It flings onto the ceiling where it grips on and scurries into the crawl space. Damn it. Now I have to go up there. I turn off the water and... <sighs> take a minute to breathe. I know myself. I have to retrieve the spider or I'll be afraid to come in here for the rest of the week. Ghosts? I can do. But spiders? No. That little eight-legged bitch needs to leave. I grab a chair from the living room and I climb up to look into the crawl space. It's a little short. If I, if I had just another foot. Wow. The crawl space is mostly empty, but there's, there's a box and, and some old newspaper and something spread on the floor. I needed to get up there. So I climb down and empty the pot, placing it upside down on the chair and I carefully climb back up. I think I'm high enough to pull myself in, so I get up on the tip of my toes and I give a little jump. Ah! I hit my head on the ceiling really hard. The pot and chair crashing to the ground below me. Shit, shitty, shit, shit. So here I am dangling in the air 12 feet off the ground, my head throbbing and probably bleeding with no view of the ground beneath me and I can't drop down if I land on the pot or or the chair. I could kill myself or break something. No, Caddy, you made a commitment to climbing up here and damn it, you will. Now, climb. And I will say right now, thank God for yoga because I pulled some sort of contortionist move with my leg and my upper body twisting and turning and curling up until I got in that damn crawl space. And there he was, the spider, crawling right over the map that was sprawled out across the floor. The map to Stoddard Rocks. I didn't kill the spider. 
In fact, I left him there because I honestly believe that was Abe. I thanked him, carefully took the map, and made my way down safely. That night, I studied the map, and I planned my route based on Abe's notes, which I found on the back. I packed my bag, and in the morning, my journey would begin. As I was laying there on the top bunk, listening to the creaks in the walls, waiting to hear the old man's cane against the wood floor, I had butterflies. I was so excited for tomorrow. But I had no idea that my life was about to take a dramatic turn for the worse. First of all, she's incredible. That's my friend Katie. And at the time, she was my roommate and aspiring actor. Um, and since then, Katie has been on Boardwalk Empire. Last year, she had a short film shortlisted for the Oscars called Sometimes I Think About Dying, which is kind of like a horror movie, um, which is really cool. And she has two kids now. Wow. She was just like my buddy who like we would drink wine and watch The the Voice, you know, this is The Voice. It was like <laughs> season one and we would watch that or we'd watch like The Biggest Loser and just like cry and drink Merlot. Um, yeah. And now she's this incredible actor, writer, producer. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So story wise, I love the way that you write, honestly. I think you're really good at like the suspense and like putting that like the pauses like where they need to be of like uh, really like setting that scene so like viscerally and it's great because like watching that like even though like there's a video and you're seeing her like you are picturing everything like in the back of your mind and I love that. I, I hear a little bit of like Emily Dickinson with the fly uh, you know, with the spiders and then also like Telltale Heart with Edgar Allan Poe and like the, you know, the stuff up above. It's pretty good, Josh. <laughs> Gosh, you guys are really nice and that feels good. Um, Arthur, I wanted to ask you, she claims that like it might be Abe as the spider and so she doesn't kill the spider. Oh. How realistic is it that someone who's passed away could come back either like reincarnation or come back and like possess the spider to send a message? A lot of people believe that their loved ones can possess small creatures such as moths or spiders or birds and send them a small message if they need to. I would never rule that out, but I would say that for a spirit, it would take a lot of energy and they wouldn't be able to do it as a consistent thing. I've had a similar theory about um, about ghosts um, and that they, they, like, they need to charge almost like a, um, I don't know, like an iPad, you know? <laughs> like they need to conserve that energy and build it up in order to do one small act. Oh. And, uh, you know, it could take you know, a hundred years to build up enough energy to be like, I'm here. Remember you know? uh, and then Ghost when he was like trying to kick the can in, uh, well. I've never seen it. You've never seen Jesus. Oh my God. You've got to no. watch it, Josh. Just, the, like just a scene the pottery scene. Where he can't kick the can. He's trying to make himself seen and like he can't do anything. He can't make himself be known. And then he meets another ghost who's like been on, you know, haunting forever. And he's like, you need to feel it. You need to build it. 
But why wouldn't you come back as a fly? <laughs> I'd come back as a tortoise. They live to like 168 years old. Can you be like, uh, imagine like a haunted turtle? <laughs> like, surprise, it's grandfather. I love the yeah. idea of a haunted turtle. I'll talk to Pixar. Question. I think it's the worst idea ever because I think like you're a tortoise and you're like, hey. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> they might move slow, but they think fast. Guys. But, but you, I don't think that's gonna help you if you're trying to send a sign. Maybe that's like some sort of hell. Is like you're you're stuck. Like oh god, is look. that really what hell is? We hell found being stuck inside a tortoise. Yes, that's and my trying hell. to communicate and trying to communicate with somebody in the advanced world and like trying to reconnect with maybe your grandson and being like. Meanwhile, your grandson is not listening because he's taking photos. He's on Instagram. He's all over the place. <laughs> all right. Well, so there's a part two. I've just sent it to you guys in the chat, and um, yeah, we should watch that and then and then come back and chat again. All right. Yeah, okay. sounds like a plan. Sounds good. In the morning, I took the canoe out into the cove, all the way to the end where a small stream trickles down into the lake. I pulled up on shore, walked along the rocks, and followed the stream up to Toad Lake. Aptly named for its hamburger-sized toads just about everywhere you look. I hung a left and climbed for about an hour up a logging road. The nice thing about the loggers up here is that they take from the forest respectfully. No massive undertakings or bare patches. The company that cuts here is good about looking for places where if they cut, it will actually help the ecosystem. A lot of the times the trees grow so close together that the underbrush doesn't have a chance to thrive. The path is really your only option if you're not willing to get scratched. And besides, it's nice to have these big paths to guide you through the wilderness. Makes you feel safe, like you can't get lost. But I'm not so naive. I know I need to stick to my map, or else one night in the woods may turn into a few. More time went by. It wasn't a difficult hike, a nice steady pace. Eventually I got to the plateau. Darning Needle Meadow, filled with wildflowers, as big as a football field. Absolutely stunning. Darning needles are these little dragonflies in every color you can imagine with beautiful teardrop wings. At a glance, they look like fairies. You can see them from time to time around the lake, but in this field there are hundreds, if not thousands of them just darting around in every direction. And the wildflowers, yellow and purple everywhere, waist high, chest high in some places. Truly inspiring, and exactly as the old man had written in his notes. I would have stayed there forever in that magic fairyland, mesmerized by all that activity. But it was time to head downhill on a smaller path running perpendicular to the logging road. I'd conquered my first mini mountain, celebrated with a drink of water, and now I was on my way to the base of the next. Down, down, down for another 30 minutes or so, past a frog bog through 
all kinds of downed trees and spider webs deep into a world where not many have traveled. Eventually, the path started to curve uphill again, right and then left and then right and then left. This little mountain was much bigger than the last and although they were getting narrower, the curving paths made it easier to climb. I saw many amazing things in these woods and I would love nothing more than to go on and on for hours about it, describing it in real time. I guess that's the author in me. Maybe someday I can fill the pages of a book with this amazing place, but to spare you the details, I hiked until it was late in the afternoon, until I finally found them. These massive rocks, stories high, as big as a subway car up on its end, some as big as a house, massive, beautiful boulders. This was Stoddard Rocks. I walked around them for an hour, climbed away on top of one that had a more gracious incline. It must have been 30 feet off the ground and the others around me were even taller. After that, I found a time capsule in a hollow underneath one of the rocks. It had a baseball, a photo of a boy, and a little action figure, Mr. Freeze from Batman, and a note which read, To whoever finds this, this box is a time capsule left at Stoddard Rocks by Roy Jenkins in 1996. Please leave it here until the year 2046. Thank you. Roy Jenkins, age 13. P.S. If it's winter, put Mr. Freeze in the snow. He changes color. I thought it was cute. If I had a little boy, I'd encourage him to do the same. Leave a little time capsule somewhere. Maybe one day. I turned the note over. I don't know why. Maybe just because that's what you do when you finish reading something. You turn it over to make sure you didn't miss anything. And on the back, written in different handwriting, was a very different sort of message. To those who seek the Stoddard Rock, you'll find your compass he will block. The Apache with the gray goat's head will make you wish that you were dead. This sent shivers up the back of my neck. Who wrote this? Probably some sick teenager. Little shit. Ruined that little boy's time capsule forever. It's amazing to me how much change a kid can go through in just a couple years. Well, at least no one had vandalized the rocks. Nah. These babies were perfect. As if the ice age had just ended. I packed everything back in the box and placed it back where I found it. It was starting to get dark, and suddenly I wasn't feeling so enthusiastic about spending the night in the woods. That stupid little poem. Why did that have to be there? I took out Old Abe's map, spreading it across a nearby shelf on one of the rocks, and started looking for my return route, when I realized I was all turned around, walking around the rocks for an hour ahead, disoriented me and left me with no idea which direction I had come from. Luckily, I remembered the compass that came with my backpack. I thought it was kind of cool and I left it on as a way of opening up conversations about our little cabin up in the woods and how I write there. 
Never in a million years had I thought I'd ever need to use it to find my way home. Actually, I had never used a compass. I had looked at them, obviously. I knew that once you let them settle, you could find north and set your map to north and see what direction you needed to go. So I detached the thing from my backpack and set it down on the rock and waited. And waited. And waited. And it never seemed to settle. In fact, it kept spinning and spinning around and around at the same pace. Piece of crap, free compass. You know, when I get back to town, I am buying myself a nice compass. Whew. The hair on the back of my neck stood up. And I jumped to my feet. What a bad feeling all of a sudden. Like someone watching me. Nobody's out here, I told myself. Nobody to hear my cries. I was thinking about the note. For those who seek the stoddard rock, you find your compass, he will block. Stop! I had to get my wits about me, no more Foolish superstitions about men with horns. I had my husband coming to see me next weekend, which means I had enough horny men in my life to begin with. That made me smile a bit and relax. Enough to slow the panic and bring me back to a calm place. I had prepared to spend the night in the woods, but if I stayed calm, I wouldn't have to. I walked back to the map and the spinning compass. Pretty cool, actually. I have to write this in a book for sure. Just then. I was looking at the map and trying to figure out which rock was where. The compass stopped, just like that. Dead in its tracks, just stopped, pointing at the direction of the avocado-shaped boulder that I found the time capsule under. And as I look over to the rock, I hear the most horrifying sound that has ever reached my ears. My eyes shoot up to the top of the rock. And there, 30 feet off the ground, standing on the point of the rock, is a native. I'm frozen in shock. Eyes locked with his. He's huge. A perfect athlete's body, but at his shoulders he becomes a goat, it has massive, devilish, curving horns and a long snout. And as I'm looking at him, he throws his head back like a wolf, howling at the moon, and bleats out another satanic scream which shakes me from my stupefied stare. Without thinking, I grab the map, turn and run in the opposite direction as fast as I can, just running. I don't care where, just away from this thing. It lets out another cry as I make it past the final rock and begin to move downhill. And then I trip and I begin to tumble violently down the mountain, rolling over rocks and branches, my body taking impacts deep into my muscle tissue, close to my bones. Eventually, I slam into a much larger rock and there's a flash of white light as I hear a snap by my shoulder. I scream out in pain and begin to weep, curling up in a ball of terror.
unbearable pain. And as I'm laying there on my side, crying, squirming, and holding myself, I begin to lose consciousness. And it feels so good, I know I have to fight it, but the closer I get to passing out, the less pain I feel. I don't want to die out here, but the pain is near unbearable, and I'm a full day's walk from the canoe. Maybe just a little rest. My memory gets spotty from this point. I have no idea how long I was there fighting off the darkness, but eventually there were footsteps in the leaves, bare feet in front of me. And with my eyes slipping in and out of focus, I remember looking up and seeing the goat's eyes staring back at me. And a ringing sound as it raised its hand out, reaching its palm in the direction of my face. And then, as if no time has gone by, in just the flitter of an island, I was in my canoe, lying on my back with massive raindrops pouring down in pitch blackness. I tried to sit up, but the pain of my shoulder was beyond extreme, and the boat rocked back and forth from my sudden movement. I was in the water, but how? I don't remember getting here. I knew I had to get back. I, I knew I needed to get myself to the hospital, but with the storm clouds blocking the moon, I knew there was no hope of seeing a thing out here until dawn, so I stuck it out in the growing pool of water, shivering from the cold and praying that day would come soon. At least I knew I was safe from that thing. In the morning, I managed to slowly and painfully make my way back to the cabin and drive myself to the hospital. Over an hour away, it turned out I had a broken collarbone from the fall, as well as some very serious bruising. I spent the next few days in the hospital. My husband Rick came immediately and stayed with me the whole time. He really is a sweetheart. I told him what happened, but he doesn't believe me. Your imagination is a beautiful thing, he told me. I just wish it wasn't so vivid. He's right. I do have a vivid imagination, but I know the difference between fiction and reality. And I know what I saw. And whoever left that note saw it too. I really need to go back. Ooh. Bravo, bravo. So, uh, is, is this is this based on a true story? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, a lot of it is. I mean, the um, so the cabin is a real cabin. The Stoddard Rocks is a real place. There's actually a time capsule that I've found there. With Mr. Freeze in there? No, Mr. Freeze is in my parents' freezer still. But he does change color when he gets cold, which is why he's in the freezer. Um, I think I got that toy as a kid, and I never actually played with it. I just boop right in the freezer, and it's been there for like thirty years. You'd be really disappointed if it, you found out that your parents threw it away like twenty yeah. years ago. 
And also, Cody, the meadow, the meadow is a real meadow, and the meadow is the same meadow as my sleep story uh, that I put out a month or two ago. The meadow is real. That, oh my I gosh. mean, that place sounded gorgeous. That came That's to why mind. I have a dragonfly on my arm. Is ah. uh, this, this is my East Coast tattoo. When I moved to the West Coast, I was like, I need a part of me that's like always reminded of the meadow. So that's literally the meadow right there. I love that. The first thing that came to mind when you were talking about how like all the dragonflies like almost look like fairies if you didn't look close enough. And I'm sure uh, that you remember from the episode where Arthur uh, tells a story about his encounter with fairies. One of the things that I was like is, was it a bug? Could it have been a bug? I love that you incorporated, you know, so many people that haven't experienced that. That's probably the closest thing that we could think to compare it to. Yeah, for me, the dragonflies, I think, are very close. I call them darning needles up there. They're they're more like um, the ones that I remember, are like they have turquoise bodies and jet black wings. And they're re- like totally otherworldly things. And they tend to linger a little bit and they hover a little bit. They're very fairy-like in my mind. I was going to say it's it's so fascinating to see the similarities like between it's the Wendigo, right? Or what was Wendigo. The, Wendigo. Wendigo. And then also hear your story and like think like how is this like something that's regional or is this like something that's universal? From what I know, it's mostly just uh, northern region though. Okay, because we used to have like a, a place we called Devil's Playground out in the middle of the desert of Arizona, and there used to be oh. this rumor if you go out to Devil's Playground where there was this, like this fire that this house caught on fire way back in the 1800s, a goat man will come out there and we'll no make way. His, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we always used to go out there and, you know, drink beer and smoke cigarettes. But we never, we would hear some sounds, but we never saw Goat Boy. But everybody that was like, you know, seniors in high school would tell us, hey, dude, we saw the Goat Man. But also, like, it, it could go back, like, to Pan, because isn't Pan, like, some sort of... Pan is a deity that um, is part of nature. He's not a uh, malicious one, though. Doesn't he lure, like, isn't he luring or something like but that? But who's to say mine is malicious either? Yeah. You know? Well, so that was the thing, right? Like, uh, you know, the, the imagery of, like, the hand coming towards her face, and then she wakes up magically in her boat, and it makes you wonder, like, how, like, did it transport her there? <laughs> and did it take anything from her? Because it sounds like she's a little bit obsessed with it now, like, I have to go back is the oh, last yeah. thing she says. I mean, someone obviously had to take care of her. So I know that you mentioned, like, everything with, like, the goat head. I think your imagery kind of leads more, like, satanic and, like, the, the Christian Catholic version of like this like devilish you know creature versus like this like folklore uh native american version which you know you don't really see like goats so much in the northeast that you do see deer it didn't seem like he was malicious but it did seem a bit too spooky to be any sort of deity because they don't generally show themselves in any way so i can't say that it would be pan and I think part of it, too, is just being a young writer at the time, um, because I am I do notice, like Cody knows, um, I come back to these stories and I realize that there are insensitivities um, built into them that just come with being a young person who hasn't um, experienced the world as much. You know, so like I, I got very, very nervous when the word Apache came up and native because I was like, oh, no, now I'm, I'm going to be vil- villainizing, um, you know, people who do not deserve to be villainized and who have been villainized by white people their entire lives. And I felt a, a huge sigh of relief when it didn't turn out to be this vicious 
thing. Maybe it is linked to Native American. Maybe that's just how she interpreted it. She did hit her head a couple times, too. Maybe she died in the kitchen up in the nook, you know? <laughs> With the way that you wrote this Goatman not being malicious and not having a bad ending like that, it seems more like they were a guardian of the area, if anything. Yeah, yeah, it's pr- quite possibly sacred ground. Um, and that is the the deity, maybe, or, or the, the figure that uh, protects that from unwanted trespassers. It would make and sense so it was, that it was more just like okay, little human being, you're going to be back in your boat and we're sacred again. Out. Yeah. Because like I said, those rocks, they're difficult to find. They are not on the path. They mm. are, you know, you cut straight up and, and do this kind of treacherous, like direct up through deep woods um, and hope to stumble across them. It reminded me of a field trip I used to go on every year with my school. To the dark woods to... where they steal children. I was going <laughs> to say another field trip story. We're going to go I to a place recall. where children disappear, a forest, and uh, <laughs> hey, only the strong are going to survive. So, listener or watcher, if you are extremely confused right now, it's because this is a collaboration with Strange Beliefs Podcast, and we went on their episode to hear the story of the Wendigo and what happened to the children who went to the woods where children disappear. So go listen to that episode, um, because we had a really good time. Well, we can't thank you guys enough for coming on our show and having us on your show. Um, we've got links everywhere. If you guys want to say, uh, you know, some parting words. Thank you so much for having us. This is our first collaboration. Uh, and we're so, so blessed that you guys uh, decided to, you know, take a, take me up on that little offer of, uh, of joining up and joining forces and seeing if we could do something really cool. I honestly think that this is... Uh, probably uh so far one of my favorite experiences in terms of recording a podcast it makes me feel very professional yes <laughs> so in a way it's almost like uh you guys are like our uh youtube big brothers if you ever want to have us back uh, i could probably throw extra stories at you guys sure and and tarot oh yeah. it I would could be tarot so much fun well. yeah we do like the past present future poll and we could also try to see which card represents you out of the deck so would be I really swear fun. if I get a major icona for everybody, I'm quitting. <laughs> Just eating the deck. The fool, the fool, yeah, yeah. the fool. <laughs> You're all no! fools. No, no. <laughs> this was so much fun. Uh, subscribe to our show. Subscribe to their show. They're on YouTube and, and places you find podcasts. And uh, we'll have links below because that's a whole lot easier. And let's roll the credits. Hunting Season was created by me, Joshua Sterling Gregg. Produced by Greg Holdsman and Jessica Richmond. And executive produced by Matt Gielen, Patrick James Lynch, and Ryan Gielen. And is a joint production of Believe Limited and Matt Gielen. This episode was written and hosted by Joshua Sterling Gregg. It was edited by Colby Crow. And select music in this episode was made exclusively for the podcast by North Innsbruck. If you like our show, please subscribe on your favorite platform. We have a video version of the show on YouTube and Facebook and on audio versions on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. Was that good? Oh boy.